welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. everyone. Welcome back. My name is John LeBaron. I am the Chief Revenue Officer of Pattern, and you are listening to E-Commerce Innovators. Today, we are excited to welcome Jamie Derringer. She is the founder and former Chief Creative Officer at Design Milk, and welcome to the show today, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're excited to have you here, and you recently participated. In fact, I'm wearing my Accelerate Rally hat right now as we speak. You participated in our inaugural Accelerate Conference, and it was so fun to see you on stage with Bo Euler. Uh, I think you guys go way back, right? Is that right? We do go way back. I have photographic proof um, <laughs> that his hair has always been amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. So uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we got started here, that you actually have a unicorn icon <laughs> on your LinkedIn profile. And I started to ask, and you're like, are we actually recording here? And so I want I want our listeners to hear this as well. What is the uh, genesis of the unicorn on your profile? Uh, yeah, so I, I, it's one of the emojis that I identify with the most because when I think of unicorns, I think that they're just very magical, right? Um, uh, so I guess I consider myself to be like a magical unicorn of creativity and innovation <laughs> because I really don't have like a specific skill set. Um, having been a founder and then, you know, being a chief creative officer, I had my hands in like everything. Um, so I actually don't have a good like title for myself. So I'm just under the umbrella of magical unicorn. Well, what's not to love about magic, right? So I, I think that actually leans to this notion of, uh, and I talked to a uh, uh, guests recently about this as well. Like, how do you define innovation? It can feel trite. It can feel a little bit stayed and like people have different definitions. What does innovation mean to you? When I think of innovation, I think of either looking at something in a different way or doing something in a different way that makes people think twice about something in their lives, right? Whether yeah. it's a product that's um, solving a problem for them. And, and they're like, oh, that's clever, you know, um, or it's develop even just forging a whole new path of businesses or services or um, ideas or marketing. It, it's really, to me, just having people look at things that a little differently than they had been before that just makes them say, oh, that's interesting, or oh, that's creative, yeah. or oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. And it's amazing as human beings, right? Like I feel like we're always on this subconscious or conscious search for meaning and trying to extrapolate what's going on and how to, we're, we're actually really good creatures at pattern detection. And so anytime you can kind of break that mold to your point and kind of shake things up and disrupt and get people to view something differently and disrupt that pattern um, is really fascinating. It can be infuriating as a human, but it can also be incredibly delightful um, to have those patterns kind of messed up or shocked and, and to get a different takeaway or feeling or experience out of something that you weren't anticipating, right? Or you were anticipating, so. 
Yeah, and I think it could be a very small thing, like a new kitchen gadget that just makes no. your life easier, or it could be a whole new ball game, like you know, bringing electric cars to market and then making no. them delightful and fun and easy. Um, something in your life that you never really knew you needed, but it changed the way you do something or look at something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for those that do not know anything or have never heard of Design Milk, you're the founder. Tell us about it. So Design Milk um, started as a blog um, in 2006. I was just sharing all these things that I found on the internet that I really liked. Um, I just collecting things like uh, cars and homes and, and furniture and art. Um, and then it just started to organically grow from there. Uh, and it became a, a, a top media site in modern design. And then in 2019, it was acquired by an e-commerce company. Uh, and we came together to work, uh, which is what I did for the past three years, was I worked on building the e-commerce side of the business uh, while still also building the media side of the business. Yeah. And what, I mean, you were there for so long. You're such a pioneer in that space. You probably went through a number of different eras, right? From, I mean, blogging as a whole to all the different kind of medium and media and social and all these different kind of vectors of how to kind of grow that business. What are some of the, I don't know, big principles uh, that you learned throughout that experience and, and some of the things you were most proud of? Oh, that's a lot of stuff. So I would say the biggest thing for me with, my, with how I was running the business was the internet is a very like fast moving, fast changing place, right? Yeah. It's very similar in, in, in technology. Um, new things are always coming out. So I think being able to always be flexible, agile to just kind of shift, even shifting your whole business model if you need to, um, especially when you're in a startup stage, you can kind of move a little bit more quickly with that, but always being agile and ready for the next thing or even trying to get ahead of what that next thing is. Um, I think that's really important in business. And I think um, businesses that are able to do that and respond quickly to that uh, are, are probably going to survive more difficult and challenging times. Yeah. So that's really something that I always thought was super important for a business to have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what are some of the feel like innovations you helped introduce? Or like I said before, what are some of the things you're most proud of during your time? I think, well, the biggest innovation was bringing to, I think, well, no, let me start that over. I think the innovation in the space is, uh, there's a couple of different things. So first, I think Design Milk was one of the first online sites that focused on modern design that was based in the United States, um, who really brought design onto social media. I remember being one of the only people like, you know, posting Instagram stories um, during some of the big design shows. Yeah. Um, and then now everybody does it. And, you know, um, it's like the thing that everybody does. Uh, so that, you know, always trying to be like one step ahead of what everybody else was doing. So being on Instagram early, being an early adopter of all the new different technologies. And then once the acquisition happened, finding a way to bring together media and e-commerce in a way that feels authentic was super important to me. And that was the vision that we had for the brand. So expanding it into a new area while still maintaining its credibility as a media entity. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important. That authenticity really rings true in a lot of the interviews that we end up having uh, with different guests here. So tell us about that 
kind of dilemma in a way, I guess, right? Like you've got to stay true to the roots, but you're also trying to build out the e-commerce side. What did that look like? Again, for people who've never even been to Design Milk or heard of it or whatever, what what was it exactly? Were you building out a marketplace, like a house where people could see the the products and then buy them there? That or, or did you have like a click to like sort of you know function or a click to buy sort of thing? What did it, what was the e-commerce function that you were building out? So we decided to build out an entire store. So the Design Milk Shop came from that idea of how, you know, bringing, how do we bring the e-commerce into this in an authentic way? And the idea was, let's make sure that we respect the people who want to shop and we respect the people who want to read. And then, of course, there's going to be overlap between the two. We wanted to make it not intrusive. Um, because Design Milk had been a media company for so long, we couldn't just drop things right in people's faces and just have it like all over the website because it would just freak people out. So it was about trying to um, slowly bring those readers into the e-commerce um, part of our business and understanding that this is also where we're going, but we're not really taking any media away from you. It's just you can, here's an article about these really wonderfully designed products, but hey, you can also now click here and buy it. And the, one of the reasons why e-commerce was always so interesting to me is even early on, I would get emails, where can I buy that? And a lot of times you couldn't because we were featuring designs that were like student projects yeah, or yeah. Um, concepts and things like that. But once it became like, oh, you can buy this thing, um, I would direct people to like, you know, CB2 or, you know, uh, Wayfair, all of these West Elm, all these other marketplaces. Um, and then it just, I don't know, we just decided, wow, this makes a lot of sense for us. So um, prior to the acquisition, we started Design Milk Every Day, which was an Instagram account separate from Design Milk that only featured products you could buy. Okay. Um, and that's kind of, I think, where we the seed kind of was planted that, yes, people want to buy these things. Because I think we amassed like 200,000 followers in a very short period of time. And yeah. now I think it has over 500,000 at this point. Um, so, yeah, so we knew that there was a need for this. Um, and then it was trying to find the right partners. So when I was approached about e-commerce, I thought that's a really great, you know, opportunity for the brand to expand. Yeah, absolutely. And how did it go? I mean, did, did the audience, were they open to it? Sometimes when you try to make these big pivots or switches, you're like, I'm out. Like you just, you just sold out all out authenticity is gone. And yeah. Breath of fresh air. So like, how did that, how did that whole thing go? Yeah. And I'm one of those people that's like, I don't want to sell out. Um, I, I'm really big on integrity. And so doing it the right way was really important to me. So even before I signed any papers, I was like, are, are you going to do this in a way that respects these people and, sure. you know, brings them on board slowly? And, you know, um, I felt comfortable with the answer. So I was like, okay, let, let's do it. And so I was, um, you know, consulted through the whole process. Like, how do we do this without making people feel uncomfortable? So it was a very slow process. Um, we, it would have been great if we put it on and people started buying millions and millions of dollars of product, but it had to be a slow process. So it started with like a link here, you know, a, a, an article here, and then slowly worked its way up to the point where people were much more comfortable with the concept. Yeah, absolutely. And the actual kind of marketplace model, because it's kind of a marketplace in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Do you or the company own any of the inventory? Is it like on consignment? Is it all drop shipped from the actual retailers from there? How does, what does the back end kind of look it like? It is a combination. 
it is a combination because there are things that, um, you know, we had developed in collaboration with other brands and we purchased that inventory. And then there's, you know, things that just have to be drop shipped um, yeah. and things that are, are made to order. Yeah. I mean, the important thing for us was that it was on brand and for Design Milk, a lot of the products aren't mass produced. These are small independent makers that are making small batches, even one thing at a time. Um, and we wanted to make sure we had a nice combination of all of those types of things on the site. And so, um, you know, we had to respect that. So a lot of it is dropship only because they have to be made in those small batches. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you recently kind of transitioned on. How was that? Was that bittersweet? Was it like <laughs> always part of the plan? Like, tell us a little bit more if you can. About I think it was, was, it was like. yeah, it was always part of my plan, but I didn't think it would happen so quickly. And the three years of, of my contract went by yeah. super fast. Um, you know, COVID happened during that time. There was a lot of transitional stuff. Just bringing two businesses together was a challenge. It took like a whole year for everybody to just work together in a way that felt comfortable and like, sure. you know, fluid. Um, and so for me, it went by really quickly, but I knew that it was time for me to move on. I, um, I mean, 16 years is a long time to be in a business. And yeah. um, I, I think at that point, I felt like I had done everything I could do, you know, for the company. And it was time yeah. for me to take those skills and see what was next for me. It was yeah. very bittersweet, though. My whole team still there. Um, <laughs> I keep in touch with everybody. I, you know, it's a brand I love, um, but it, I had to kind of cut the cord, so to speak. Yeah. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier in terms of the ability to kind of stay ahead of what everyone else is doing, which is increasingly hard, honestly, because everyone can copycat. Everyone sees all the things all the time. They can see what's going viral. They can kind of imitate it, both at the product level, as well as just kind of the go-to-market and marketing muscle kind of thing. So I guess, you know, with that context, one of the questions I always like to ask is, you know, what do you think that brands need to do, um, you know, probably both now and the future to become leaders of their, their industry or segments or product categories and things like that? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. One is um, clearly having a, a voice or a brand that stands out from the rest or is incredibly recognizable. People always ask me the same question in interviews is why you named your company Design Milk. I don't have a good answer for that. It's completely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, I, I also designed the logo, which is also completely ridiculous. And I absolutely love it. Um, I have a tattoo of it on my body. Like, nice. <laughs> But the, I mean, the main reason I love it so much now is because it's so easy to remember and the logo is incredibly recognizable in the industry. Yeah. And I think that that's super important for brands. If your brand just becomes selling like commodities, it's problematic, right? You, you need your brand and your products to stand out from the rest. So whether that's having an authentic and interesting marketing voice, which is how a lot of brands stand out. I mean, if you think like Think about like Geico campaigns or Progressive or, or um, uh, what's Old Spice, like all of these brands that have done really clever marketing campaigns. Yes, they kicked off a slew of like really ridiculous marketing campaigns for other brands, but those are the ones you remember because they did it first 
And they did it in what felt like a more authentic and unique way versus the copycats. So I think um, marketing comes into play and branding really comes into play. Uh, so those things are super important. And the other thing that I would say that is really, I think crucial for me as a creative person is that like your creative team who work on these things, marketing, branding, creative, they need time to be creative. And that's not always sitting in front of their computer. Um, they need brainstorming time. They need time away because your best ideas a lot of times will come at you 3 a.m. First thing when you wake up in the shower, taking a walk in nature, on vacation with your family. Like all of these times when your brain actually has a moment to shut down is when the creativity really starts to come out. Um, so that I'm like really passionate about making sure creative teams have time to just like putz around yeah. <laughs> or go for a run or just do something that keeps their minds going. Cause that's really where the innovation happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so interesting. I mean, if you, if you cruise around, whether it's on the kind of editorial side or the shopping side, I mean, you guys have everything from, you know, like retro ashtrays to how to design the you know perfect pool to like, you know, what are the latest uh, uh, Lego pieces that are coming out that actually can be used as three-dimensional art or, I mean, just stuff that like I've never even heard of. So I think in a way you, you're kind of a curator of a bunch of different styles and inspiration and creativity as well. So is that exhausting? Is it just part of your passion? And, and how does your team kind of constantly aggregate and find all of these amazing um I don't know, experiences and, and trends and things like that for your end customers to enjoy. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was just us going to shows and like scrolling around, going down rabbit holes on the internet um, and just finding things in real life as, as we explored the world. And then eventually as the, the brand had a little bit more rec recognition in the community um, in design, we would start to get pitches from people. So the emails would start pouring in um, and so in, in 2011, I hired Caroline Williamson, who's now the editorial director, and she runs the editorial team. Um, she's been with the company for, what is it, 11, almost 11 years now. So over time, you know, not only do we get hundreds of submissions every day, but we, you know, we had to train our eyes to like find these things. And now they're everywhere. You go down rabbit holes on Instagram, you go, you know, to um, student shows, or even we're getting, um, yeah. a gra you know, professors having their whole graduate class send us all their projects. And wow. we're, we're actually following these students as they go from grad school to professional careers, and sometimes opening their own studio and getting a lot of recognition. And um, we've seen it a lot of success over the years, but I think it's like training your eye to know what's design milk and what's not. Um, and then it's, it's trying to find things that not just that come at you, but going out there and, and really just meeting people and seeing projects um, in person. So trade shows, design weeks around the world. You know, our team has been everywhere, Dubai, Jordan, you know, uh, Taiwan, like Singapore, just finding the coolest stuff all over yeah. the world. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like there's, man, there's just so much joy that comes with the ability to share something like that with an audience that is just, you get such a buzz. You, to your earliest point, it truly is kind of magical to create that connection uh, with your, you know, members or 
viewees or customers or whatever you want to call them, right? Like it's, it's great. It is. And Design Milk always came at it from, I mean, because of the name and the logo being a little goofy, it, it always came at it with a, a, a bit of optimism and joy. This wasn't a place to like critique design or tear people down or say negative things about like ugly design. It was a place to celebrate design and celebrate it on a level that wasn't just for designers or architects, it was for everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think that at the time when I started the site, we were just seeing design become part of the mainstream conversation. Apple was just getting popular with their products. Target was doing their, you know, by design with like Isaac Mizrahi and Michael Graves. And so it was just at a great time when people were just starting to have these conversations. Yeah, totally. I think that's so great. So what's new? I mean, what what's next, I guess, in a way, right? Like you, you just authored the final chapter of this amazing, uh, you know, book of, of your career. And now you're probably sitting with, well, there's probably a bunch of stuff you've had to catch up. I'm, not, I'm sure you're not like just sitting around, but it's like, what's next? Uh, how are you taking some time to decompress? And how are you thinking about the next chapter or the next book? Yeah, I think I, I really did need time off. So I'm grateful that I've been able to just kind of chill out for a couple of months, um, go on summer vacation, spend some more time with my daughter. She's getting older. So I, I, I really value this time that I have with her. Um, but, you know, I, I don't foresee this being the end of my career. I know there's more for me and um, just meeting new people and learning a lot, taking a lot of like, you know, webinars and anything I can get my hands on in terms of education. I'm, I'm really interested in Web3 and blockchain technology and where that might overlap with design or commerce or architecture or, I don't know, art. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential in, in that world. So I'm learning a lot about that. And I'm having a lot of really great coffee chats and I'm taking all the phone calls I didn't have time for before. It feels really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, any new books that have like, you know, I don't know if you're a bookie or whatever, but anything that you would recommend to any listeners here in terms of creativity or design or whatever else, what's what's getting you excited? Yes, I'm pulling movie? up my Audible right now yeah, because I need to tell you about, let's see, one of the recent books that I read. So I read a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark oh, yeah. Manson. That was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And then I read a book called Essentialism by a guy named Greg McEwen. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm butchering that name. Um, and that was also really great. A, a lot of it is about stripping yourself down to your most authentic self. And I think being in midlife right now. It's a, just such a great time for me to be exploring those kinds of topics. Um, I'm unpeeling all of the onion layers and just trying to find out what is the Jamie essence. And right now it's a magical unicorn. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> it's not a bad place to, to be at. Well, we've talked about, you know, kind of the, for lack of a better word, the sustenance or the nutrition that you put into your body and, and that you surround yourself with, whether it's you know, the curation of trade shows to websites to social to whatever. Um, a big piece of that for sure is, you know, the actual community that you surround yourself with and those people. And obviously transitioning away 
from the company you founded and all those great people leave some level of a gaping hole, uh, maybe just on the day-to-day, but I'm sure you stay super close with some of those people. And certainly we got to know each other through Bo, who is not a design milk, but is you know running Enlisted Design and, and such a amazing person that I love to surround myself with. What do you look for in the people that you surround yourself with and is that has that evolved? Has it stayed pretty stagnant? Just uh, not stagnant, but just pretty, you know, uh, static, I guess, as you look to kind of, again, cultivate that creative side and, and nourish yourself with the, the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah, relationships are really important to me. And I did think for a moment when I left Design Milk, I was worried that I would lose all of those people. I mean, I spent 16 years cultivating these relationships, but luckily everybody seems to have stuck around, which is great. Um, so I feel like they actually like me, which is nice. Um, <laughs> but now it's more about cultivating those relationships on a different level. You know, we might not be doing business with each other right now, but like what's going on in your life, you know, um, I'm having a lot more meaningful conversations with people, which I think is um, better um, and more nutritious for me right now. And perhaps for them, maybe they need someone to talk to about their own midlife crisis. I don't know, but I've been having a lot of wonderful <laughs> conversations about that lately with people. Um, but when I, when I look at people, you mean like mostly for hiring, right? No, actually just in, in general, like the friendships, okay. the professional relationships, um, et cetera. I just tend to find that you know, especially people in this space, those relationships, that network that they build, they lean on each other all the time when new projects come about and they're, they bounce ideas off other, you know, super creative and talented people. So it's interesting. It's like, you know, what, what are some of those characteristics and qualities that you look for in the people that you choose to surround yourself with? Yeah, I think most people I surround myself with are open-minded, um, not judgmental, very creative um, in their own industry, whatever they do. I have a friend who's in SEO, but she's really creative in what she does, even though SEO doesn't sound creative. Yeah. Um, you can be creative with SEO, you know? So like everybody I talk to, I feel like either we have something in common or we just kind of vibe in 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 what we do or we're like energetic or excited or enthusiastic about something and um you know I, I like a good listener I like to try to I'm I've been working on myself very much to be a better listener um so yeah I I don't really have like a great answer for you there's not like one particular thing but I yeah. think most of my friends are are pretty creative yeah oh that's awesome um, well, and I don't want to go into any territory that is not welcome, but um, I think we chat chatting before you do have a daughter. How old is she? 10. So she's probably at that age, maybe a little early, but I've got a I've got a 10 year old daughter as well, actually. And it's so fun to watch her kind of like watch the world through her eyes a little bit and kind of be at the front lines to some degree of the new things that she's learning. And she's so different. I actually have two daughters. One is 16 and, and one is 10. Um, and just, they're so different, but I often think like as a father, what is her role in the world going to be? What opportunities does she see? And how do I like set her up for success in this world, knowing with, again, just some of the drama she's going to have to deal with, but also knowing some of the opportunity that's in front of her. Any tips, I guess we got a lot of listeners that are parents out there too. How are you helping her navigate? I mean, you've had this really awesome career 
as an entrepreneur, as a creative director, as, you know, someone that's been surrounded by a lot of, you know, amazing people, any like tips as you help her kind of navigate what her education and, and career and, and just kind of life story starts to look like? Yeah. So setting my daughter up for success is like the number one thing. I just wanted her to be a successful human. I don't know what that's going to look like. She's got all kinds of different talents, but she's not like, you know, gravitating toward one particular thing yet. Um, So my husband is, is very different from me. He's much more like analytical and logical. And um, I'm more like, I don't know, the visionary and I'm in my imagination, my brain all the time. Um, so I think we kind of come together as a good match for parenting because, you know, where I lack, he fills it in and vice versa. Um, so we've taught our daughter to be really creative and problem solving for herself. So like, how do you think you should solve this problem? Or how do you think you could do that differently next time to get her thinking creatively? Because I think even in business, you need to figure out how to get yourself from A to B. Um, and that might be a financial thing, but you can still be creative in some way. (laughs) Um, and so I think creativity is a big one problem solving. And then I think too, you know, being honest about your feelings and, and really, um, making sure she comes to us with how she's feeling and has a, a comfort level of expressing that to us so that we can have open conversations. Um, I think one of the things that I, I didn't get as a kid was enough just verbal communication about your emotions and how are you doing and how are you holding up? And that kind of stuff, I think is really important um, to me as a parent so that I feel like if she does really need me in her teenage years, maybe she will actually open up and come to me. (laughs) Although I don't know, I mean, maybe all teenagers are the same, but you know, fingers crossed that she feels comfortable enough that she can tell me things if if she's going through a hard time or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I feel like we've done, we've come so far on so many levels and yet that ability to kind of just identify how we're feeling or be able to say, you know, incredibly vulnerable statements. Like I feel lonely. I feel like I don't have friends. I feel left out. I, you know, like having the ability to kind of say those things, um, but honestly, as a parent, as well as a child, um, we got some work to do there, don't we? Yeah. And I, we, we screw up as parents all the time because these are only kids. So like, we don't have any experience, you know? So I think also telling her like, yeah, we said this thing, but like, that was the wrong thing to say. And this is how we were feeling about it. And apologizing to your kid is it, I mean, a lot of parents don't do that. They're just like, well, we're the parent, but I think them knowing that you're a fallible human is okay. Um, and that you can make a mistake and that you admit to it and you apologize and own up to it. And then you learn from it and move on. Yeah. So that's an important lesson. And I think just trying to teach her lessons by example is also another thing that's super important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you uh, going on this journey with us. It's been magical for me to learn a little bit more about you and congratulations on all the success. And I'm really excited to learn more about the next chapter uh, that you embark upon too. I have no doubt that you'll be incredibly successful. One of Thank the you. last questions I wanted to ask you that I often ask my guests because I, I just love to learn more about it is, you know, if you think about, you know, 
the leadership principles that have led to your success, what comes to mind? What are you kind of drawn to on that front or, or where, where has there been an impression uh, as it relates to these leadership principles for you? I think leadership is best set by example. So, um, you know, in the past, I have made sure to do things that I feel like would set a good example for the rest of the company. Um, I think also showing vulnerability is really important. Um, but I also think that being enthusiastic and energetic can really help your team get amped about something that might not be super exciting either. <laughs> so like if you're doing something that's like, eh, that's not great all the time, um, looking on the bright side of it or, or saying like, yeah, I know this isn't the greatest thing, but let's try to make it fun. Can we make it into a game? Can we try to have fun with it? What can we yeah. do to make this like bearable? You yeah. know, like it's hard to have extra work, especially like during COVID. I'm sure a lot of people totally. were working extra. So just trying to find a way to, to keep going and be, you know, enthusiastic about it and, and keep everybody, you know, um, excited. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard when you, you have burnout, but I think to leadership, um, I've always gone with my gut and I always try to do what's best for the community and for all of the people involved. So I guess empathy is also a really important um, characteristic in a leader, at least for me. Uh, yeah. If I were looking for someone to be a mentor, I would look for like vulnerability, uh, empathy, set, you know, leading by example, really being enthusiastic and passionate. Um, those are all of the things that I think are, yeah, important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the spirit of the podcast, e-commerce, innovation, we spent a lot of time on innovation, a little bit of time on e-commerce. So maybe to, to tie a bow on it toward the end here, um, you know, you were tasked with doing a thing that hadn't really been done in terms of that e-commerce arm. And I'm sure you had a lot of bumps and bruises along the way and things that worked and things that were a total, you know, unmitigated disaster. So I guess going back in time three years ago or however long ago it was when you kind of embarked on the e-commerce side of this, if you could go back and give advice to uh, former Jamie, like what comes to mind? What would you have done differently knowing what you know now? If I could go back and talk to former Jamie, I would tell her to trust herself, trust her instincts and her capabilities because I think Jamie of a couple of years ago assumed that she didn't know anything about e-commerce and therefore couldn't contribute to the conversation in a meaningful way. Yeah. And I completely disagree with that right now today as, as current Jamie. I think I knew a lot more than I thought. And I wish that I had had the, I guess, courage sure. or self-confidence to say, you know, to speak up in, in times when I didn't. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. Um, honestly, across almost anything, right? Because I think there's this narrative in our head sometimes. It's like, well, if I'm not an expert in e-commerce. I can't contribute, but it's like, you may not be an expert in e-commerce, but sometimes what e-commerce needs 
to go to the next level isn't expertise in e-commerce, ironically. It's expertise in creativity or entrepreneurship or thinking outside the box, the proverbial box, right? So I think that's really, really powerful to, you know, you don't want to like hog the room with, you know, just blowing hot air or whatever, but it's like recognizing that power that you do have to look at a look at an opportunity through a different lens than someone else who would be coming to it with like deep functional expertise in that thing. Um, and again, I'll just kind of reinforce that principle again of, you know, innovation, where does that come from? How does it get manifested? One of the things I love is when new employees come to pattern that ostensibly are not experts in e-commerce and they're definitely not experts in what pattern does, but the cool thing is, is they come with a very fresh set of eyes and they're able to sniff stuff out that, you know, back to a book that we were talking about. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now. It's sitting around me, but whatever. Um, but it's called The Curse of Knowledge, right? And I think all of us to some level, the longer we're at an organization, the more we get complacent in a way with just this is how it's done. And this... This is something that I say a lot to people is, by the way, that book is made to stick. It just came into my head. So it's not that curse of knowledge. But what I say to new employees is listen to any time someone says, that's just the way we do it. That's a red flag that it's, we're, we've gotten lazy, that there's no real good explanation for it. And I love it when people are like, well, why do you do it that way? And I'm like, I don't know. Now that you say, now that you ask that, it's actually really stupid that we do it that way, or it's super inefficient. Or it's, well, yeah, we could actually do a way better job of that. So I love that ability to kind of disrupt to, as we said in the beginning, you know, change the pattern of what has happened in the past and try a new muscle, try something new, um, do it differently. Because in all likelihood, if the response is that's just the way we do it, it's, uh, it's a cultural red flag that says there's been either complacency or or this like deferring to leadership or deferring to someone that we think is smarter than we are instead of like stepping into our power and being like, no, I think you actually do, can do this way better than you're doing it. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about also like leadership, right? If, if a leader says that's just the way we do it, they might be closing the door to opportunities or innovation. Yeah. And um, I think being an outsider, so to speak, is a great thing. Like having someone come in who's new and fresh that I love that because they can shake it up and ask the questions like we haven't thought of. Um, so I think being a novice has its benefits in every Absolutely. industry. Yeah, for sure. But it's hard, right? Because actually as humans, we assimilate very, very quickly. We learn how to get in line pretty quickly. And even someone that's been in our job a month or two, suddenly they, they just lose that freshness. So yeah, I'm all about it. Well, I don't want to go too far down a rat hole here. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you better, JB. Best of luck in all the thank next you. endeavors that you do. And thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great conversation. Awesome. Well, this has been e-commerce innovators. And if you like what you've heard today, please like, and subscribe. If you have any recommendations on how we can improve the show or new questions or new guests that we want to add, uh, please drop us a line. My, my email is john at pattern.com. And we will look forward to hearing from you on the next one. Take care.